challenges remaining we're getting up there courtney a 22 episode season constitutes a television season pretty much you're finishing we've done a full season yeah look at us yeah we're only like 80 or 78 episodes away from getting you know picked up for syndication forever oh working living off residual checks for the rest of our lives oh i don't even care about residual checks just you saying living off checks that sounded pretty nice (laughs) (laughs) it does it does no for we didn't do intros but the checks would be addressed to ben rothenberg myself and courtney Nguyen, who is over in california how is life there for you right now it's really wet really we've kind of had to deal with like i'm not gonna say storm because they're not storms um it's just but it's been a few days of kind of torrential downpour there's been flooding and stuff there hasn't there there has been, but like again, like in the big context of things, especially after like Sandy and all that, I'm not even gonna like, you know, pretend that this is anything major. It's it's not windy. It's just like straight up just rain. So it's been a bit wet, but I've actually kind of liked that because when I got back from Europe, having spent time in like Copenhagen and Berlin and London and kind of feeling like fall, mm-hmm. like you saw, like we were in Vienna. And you saw how like I like stupid I got around like leaves changing. Leaves are pretty cool. I definitely thought it was really cool. And in California, we just kind of don't really get that. So I came home and it was quite warm. It was still in like the 70s and 80s, you know. And this was like whatever November. So it's quite nice. At least now I feel like the season has changed from one that was dry to now one that's wet. So that's nice. It you know signals that time has moved. So one of the things that's also happened this week, in uh, besides for the weather in our various places, is a national experience that we all share together, or some of us did, not I actually this time, is Serena Williams appearing on HSN, which is sort of a, uh, I don't know, transcends Mother Nature in a lot of ways. <laughs> Courtney, what was your first, and you live tweeted it for us, which yeah. is, I normally do on my Twitter account. You did it for the NCR underscore tennis Twitter account. What was it like for you riding that ride for two solid hours? Yeah, this was the first time that I've ever kind of experienced Serena on HSN in full bore. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched snippets of it. And obviously Ben was kind of, is like literally the king of Serena on HSN. He's like hashtag Serena on HSN. Yeah, hashtag Serena on HSN. Like he's he's so good at it. And and so most of the times I've, I've kind of experienced it like through your tweets. So this is my first time like sitting down watching for two hours and it was kind of exactly what I thought it would be. It just was ridiculous on every level. <laughs> the host, the HSN host, is just on something. You know, like, she's oh, yeah. so hyper. And it's so frustrating because then, like, Serena will try and say something and the host will, like, cut her off, which is a bit annoying. It's a pet peeve of mine in general, like, have, in life. They have several different hosts, actually, on there. I say it's I like, cut you off to create a pet peeve. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but, yeah, like, but she, she, but this was the same host that... um was with her after the U.S. Open. Okay. Well, usually what she does, this is actually a sort of abbreviated appearance for her. She was only on for two two-hour blocks on Monday. And normally she's on for four two-hour blocks in a 24-hour stretch. And so by the end, she's like super, super exhausted. This time, it was a relatively light load of four, of four hours. But still, you can see how exhausting it is to be on live TV for that much time in a row. She was over at 15 minutes in. Yeah. You know, like, you know, she started, you know, good energy and then it just was like flat, Serena. And, uh, you know, I think I tweeted like I think the two hour block is about as much as one can ask of Serena. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because just the way that she was talking about the whole HSN gig, like it just sounded like she was kind of talking about it in the same way that one would talk about the tennis season mm-hmm. where she was just like so clear she was ready for it to be over that. Oh, no, I'm having fun and I'm going to focus. I'm going to do this thing. But you know, it's almost over. Yay. And I think the host was kind of like, eh? yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit ridiculous, but, but you know, this one I think was probably not as crazy as the ones that you had to, that you covered Ben mm-hmm. because it was just two hours. Yeah. No, and, normally when you get her and I normally cover her in her first block when I do mm-hmm. it, I usually do the, whatever her first block is when you, cause when you get her into the six to eight hour block or whatever the final one is, there's not as much ad libbing going on. It's a lot of repetition and it's a lot of, uh, just try, fighting to stay awake. Yeah. So, but but it's just it's just crazy every time I see it, seeing 
Serena, who we obviously know as, you know, the winningest tennis player of her generation, having won, what, 15 Grand Slams now? Yep. However, this person having this other part of her life where she goes on TV and sells clothing to very grateful callers who've been looking for something that will fit them and be a durable it, legging. It, it, it's super surreal. It is very you know, surreal, exactly. Because you're sitting there and, and we know Serena as one thing. Not one thing, but within the context of, of why I'm even tuning in. It's because this is Serena, you know, 15-time Grand Slam champion or whatever, like one of the greatest tennis players of all time, you know, selling $30 leggings. Yeah. You know, but but I definitely, you know, it's very easy easy to get really snooty about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, and I have to, you know, especially in kind of a day and age where like, you know, Sharapova, Irani, Vinci, and Ivanovich were just at the Armani house in Milan. And, you know, tennis is so like kind of fashionable and very high end and you get very used to that. To, so to see her kind of like, you know, selling these, you know, items that you're kind of like, yeah, that's remarkably affordable it's easy to get a bit snooty at least for me and but over the course of the two hours like I definitely kind of was like you know what you go Serena like you are making clothes and you are designing clothes and selling clothes that are like for normal human beings yeah and I actually really respect that I I mean I walked away just really like kind of tipping my cap and then and, and especially when you hear like kind of the excited callers who are like oh this these leggings are amazing or like, Oh, this is so slimming and like all these sorts of things. Like it's uh there's something to be said about, about that. It's an incredibly different approach to off court life than selling $8 bags of gummy candies. Right. Well, that's precisely right. Yeah. In whatever, four bags of sugar Pova, mm-hmm. you could buy a scarf from the Serena Williams line. In fact, you could probably buy a shirt. I think, I'm pretty sure there was like a night, a shirt or pants or something that was like 1990. I mean, the purses that she sells are like 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, that's definitely less than what I had to pay to get Sugar Pova shipped to my house. So the question is, Courtney, it's December. Mm-hmm. Do you get any any loved ones, any Serena, to fill in their stockings? I did not. I did not. Um, primarily because how can you call HSN when you're live blogging it? That's Let's, fair. That's fair. You know, like I I have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, I did not. But at, at the same time, I, I should add the, uh, the general caveat of like, I don't actually buy that many Christmas gifts. Okay. Like, uh, at least among my friends and my family, like, I think, at least I hope that there's an understanding, like, I buy gifts for my family, mm-hmm. like my immediate family. And then past that, it's kind of like a Merry Christmas hug. Hugs are, hugs are the best, though. Yeah. My hugs are good. They are. They They're are. good hugs. They're solid hugs. And no one ever asks for a gift receipt. Yeah, exactly. So we got, once again, a lot of questions from our beloved listeners. So we'll just sort of go through those again because you guys keep us afloat in the off season, And we are very appreciative of that. I ask a question to the, re- to the listeners. Please do. Because a vast majority, okay, because for the last couple of weeks, obviously, we've been taking a lot of questions, and we've taken questions throughout the year. And I definitely noticed that the questions skew WTA. Definitely. In a very significant manner. This isn't like 60-40. This is like 95-5% are like kind of WTA-based questions. And I would love, I mean, and I'm being honest about this, I would love the feedback from the readers. Like, is it because, are we like the go-to people you ask WTA questions of? Because of knowledge, because we care, because we write about it, like whatever? Or is it because like we don't get ATP questions because people think we don't know about the ATP? <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope it's not that. I think we do I hope okay it's on, not the, that, on the just, ATP. Yeah, but I'm just throwing it out there. I would really, you know, please come to our Facebook page or tweet us. Like, I genuinely personally would like to know. Like, not that it would change anything. I'm just like curious. We we are and we are aware though that we give the WTA more an equal time than a lot of other coverage does. Yes. Well, we're very aware of that. That's And that's a conscious thing. Yeah, and I think that you and I are quite proud of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, in a lot of ways, just because, you know, um, I will say, like, you know, kind of apart from from maybe, I would say, Matt Cronin for tennis reporters. Like, I think that of all the people that I've met, the three of us are kind of the most intentional 
about and genuine. Yeah. Kind of their appreciation for the WTA. Yeah, it's not it's not a uh, I don't see it as a charity case or anything like that. Right. Not at all. I mean. Right. But yes. But let us know. I'm I'm curious. Our first question, incidentally, is an ATP question. It comes from Chrissy KM, uh, who says, I'm interested in opinions on Australia sidelining Tomic and Matosevic in 2012. Davis Cup is a good thing. Seems counterintuitive. So this was another wrinkle in the many, I don't know what exactly you want to call it. What the Bernard continuing Tomic. saga of the Bernard Tomic. Continuing saga, maybe, yeah, continuing saga of Bernard Tomic in 2012. Uh long, long Arlo Guthrie-type song going on here, and it's getting weirder and weirder. Mm-hmm. What What do you think, Courtney, about this latest development this week? I mean, he came, manages to keep making news in the offseason, so we should be grateful, I guess. Driving around a yellow convertible on the streets of the Gold Coast or something, and then uh, getting kicked off the Davis Cup team, or at least suspended by Captain Pat Rafter. What do you make of right. the latest Tomich Yeah, so the- this question kind of stems from a report that came out this morning, reported by Linda Pierce, a good friend of ours, Linda Pierce, mm-hmm. who writes for The Age, The Melbourne Age. And she reported that Tomic would not be selected for the first round of Davis Cup against Taiwan for Australia, that um, his funding would reportedly get cut by Tennis Australia as well. The percentages of that and what that means, it's it's unclear, but it, it's still notable. And that at this week's Newcomb Awards, which are Tennis Australia's kind of gala to celebrate the year in tennis where, you know, Sam Stozer won player of the year for the women and things like that, that Tomic's name never came up. Yeah, at all. At all. Which is, which is I think, for me, I, I suppose that was like kind of the most like agreed, like not egregious, but kind of blatant digs by kind of Tennis Australia uh, against Tomic. My general sense of it is... Well, I understand, obviously, where Tennis Australia is coming from, and, and they're trying to kind of use the, the stick as opposed to the carrot to, you know, help Tomic, you know, uh, fix his behavior. Um, I also, though, given the circumstances, given his, you know, relationship with his father, who is also his coach, John, and John Tomic has, has never been shy about kind of getting into it with Tennis Australia and, and being quite abrasive and and really kind of creating this culture of us against the world that I I, I just I I worry that it's going to just galvanize the Tomic family a bit more and to kind of continue to build that chip on that kid's shoulder and to create actually maybe even more turmoil within him because he now no longer has a safe place you know I mean in terms of tennis I'll show you uh, well, just in terms of his tennis, you know, I mean, yeah. he's coached by his father and that's already a, a, a tough relationship as we saw in Miami when he, when he was begging an umpire to remove his father from the court, you know, it, that's not a completely harmonious relationship. And then now like his own federation isn't backing him. Um, and he's 20 years old. I mean, we do have to remember this. He's a 20 year old kid. Yeah. And as much as his antics are really entertaining, you know, I mean, they are entertaining to me. I don't know. I mean, do you know a lot of 20-year-old guys who wouldn't act the way that Tomic is in his situation? Like, you know, I mean. I know plenty that wouldn't do all the things he's doing. Maybe like, not all the to, things. You have to keep in mind that he is still the youngest player in the uh, top 100, at least, let's say. Yeah, Tomic just, it's sort of not a new thing for him. I mean, there were signs that this kid would be, you know, a problem child for Australian tennis very early on and he's lived up to that and i don't know what they're supposed to do australian tennis uh do make some sort of big bid to sort of rescue him from his father and you know like some sort of uh argo situation or do they or do they just sort of divorce themselves from the whole situation in some similar way to what the usda seems to be doing right now with donald young where they say okay we tried we give up good luck i don't think australia has the talent pool to do that because the other person who has mentioned this question is their current number one, Marinko Matasevich, who Delray Beach finalist. Delray Beach finalist. I would think anybody would be surprised to see Marinko make the second week of a slam in 2013. I mean, he just yeah. he's a he's a hard worker. He's a good journeyman guy, uh, and I say that with you know the, all the positives of that because he's been floating around the Challenger Tour for a long time. He's not a young guy, and to finally have one of these career years in 2012. Everything comes together for him is impressive, but he's not their salvation. 
uh, Leighton Hewitt is, you know, so old. Uh, and <laughs> so just so old. Leighton Hewitt was winning tournaments in like 1997 or something. Yep. Before, I think probably before uh, Tomich. Went well, to how, how old would Tomich have been in 1997? He would have been. 1997. He would have, would have been, been four years old. Four or five, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, I mean it's a tough situation. I mean, I, I definitely understand where Tennis Australia is coming from, but I also just kind of feel like these kind of psychological situation that, that Tomic has kind of found himself in, that, I don't know, there's a, more so than not, I feel like this is the, the wrong move. Mm. And I get, like, I'm, we're sending a message, right, like, doesn't matter if you're number one or number 200, like we're going to treat you the same and we expect a certain level of decorum and all that sort of stuff. But to be, I mean, let me ask this. Do, do we think that Tomic really cares whether or not he plays for Davis Cup or not? No. Or represents Australia in any way or puts the flag on his back? I mean, he's not Leighton. No, he's really, he, he, that's, he's definitely not Leighton. He's not the sort of what the Aussies, you know, value in a player. Right. They value really hard work grinding type players who are humble and who just sort of care, go on with their business. Sort of, I think Stoser does this to a good degree. I right. think Stoser, even though her results in Australia aren't what they like, for the most part, she fits the work ethic they pre- they appreciate. Leighton, I think, is a little more in your face than they like, but they definitely respect the hustle for yep. him. And, uh, you know, Philip has had the desire and stuff and Rafter had all sorts of those things and charisma and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Tomic is a relatively cocksure guy with questionable effort level. Mm-hmm. And that's not doesn't add up to what the Aussies like. So I don't yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's a good match in terms of country stereotype and player. Right. I mean that's precisely right. And I think that like it you know, the only thing that is really gonna be anything that motivates him is taking the funding away. Yeah, but, I will. But, I mean, that just means that he's, he, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, now it's like, okay, you want to you wanna drive a Ferrari? You got to actually win matches, right? Like, you want a house in Monte, in Monte Carlo? You want to live and be based out there? You got to actually win matches. Yeah. So if Which I think is healthy. Gonna, that, that part, I yeah, think, can be healthy. Exactly. If, if there's anything that's going to motivate him, it, it will be that. It does seem like he needs motivation. Yeah. That's Bernie. So we don't if we don't think he's Australian, what country do you think Bernard Tomic would have been a better fit for? Oof. I have my answer to this, but I'll let you think about it. Well, I mean, I think that he could have gotten away with what he's gotten away with if he was under the British system. Okay. I think the LTA would continue to fund him. Yeah. I think they would. But there would be there would be just as much media scrutiny and stuff. Just as much, but I if think not more, that definitely more there, actually. You know, at least before this year, before, you know, the Murray breakthrough. But still, I mean, I think that, you know, you have a guy who's in the top 100. Mm-hmm. I think the, the LTA would still back him and still select him. Is that what works? My, my answer yeah. was going to be France. <laughs> I think Bernard Tomic would have been a great French tennis player. I think that's such a good answer. Yeah. Not very good on clay. Lots of flair. Questionable Head effort. Casey. You know, yeah. But, like... But like, but, some, if he, yes. but he, but if he flew the French flag, it would be a charming headcase. Oh yeah. As opposed to like, oh, what is wrong with this guy? It would be like, oh, you're just French. Yeah, say la vie. That's just what the French do. Exactly. So much creativity. You're you're paralyzed by your own genius. There's a maddening beauty in you, you know. Yeah. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, thank you. So that's Bernie, and we hope that he plays well in 20. 20- 13 because he's a lot I fun do. to watch he's so fun to watch and like i root for the kid i really really do like i think that there's just so much that's fun there i mean i mean you were there ben we were both in australia during the the atomic dolgopolov match like that was just bliss yeah that was and so much it was, fun it was and even when he lost to federer it was still like fun like just to see the things that he had the audacity or stupidity to try and and you know there's so much just just so much there to like Absolutely. Just got to grow up. So our next question is someone who I'm sure has met Bernard at some point. His compatriot, Sam Stoser, AAH1028, asks, Stoser, buy, sell, or hold? Courtney, you are, I'm going to defer to you on all things Samantha Jane Stoser. <laughs> Samantha Jane Stoser. I got, I got to, I got to say sell. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I think that, for her to finish within the top 10 this year, 
I mean, you look at the results and you, and you know, obviously, her results and you look at the, the rankings and it's a bit surprising. Um, obviously, the, the semifinal at the French helped and, um, you know, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I well, OK, maybe this is close to like the Anna Ivanovich situation we found ourselves in last last week, where I think that maybe the transaction costs don't actually justify a transaction either way. In mm-hmm. other words, I would say hold. Okay. But, you know, between sell and buy, I would say sell. I would buy, I think, just because I... Well, she's low right now. She's what, number nine? That might be right. But but even just like value-wise, perceived value. Yeah. Irrespective of she, ranking, I think that she's... She's won three low titles. Market. I mean, she... In her career. In her career. Let's be clear. On her career. That's as many titles as Azarenka had won before Indian Wells this year. Sarah Arani won four titles this year. Yeah, just to put that in perspective. Heather Watson won Osaka and reached a third of Sam Stosser's career time. I, anyway, just so many things you can say. Say that three is not a lot for a player who is as good as Sam Stosser is. Um, and, who's, and who's not young either. Right. Sam, I think, I don't feel like she's reached her clay court potential yet in terms of the French. I feel like she's, in a lot of ways, the best pure clay quarter in the game right now and uh that's interesting and i, I think, think that probably she, right on that I, I i mean there's really no clay quarters in wta she's the closest thing a wta has to like an adult in terms of you know having her game really cater to it mm-hmm. and i think that she has a french open in her at some point i don't i think she'll finish with more than one slam in her career and that might take a draw breaking her way again or not that it did the first time but it definitely no it didn't even in 2010 might, she might no. a draw breaking her way would help for sure because she is very lopsided head to heads with several players as we've discussed before. Right. But I think it's there for her, and she's already proven that she can win on hard court too. I mean, an Australian getting an Australian Open draw to break for her and going on a run, getting momentum there that could happen also. Wimbledon. She could get three wins in Australia. I think that there's something there. Yeah. You know, I think the crowd will really back her, and I think the pressure will be off a little bit. Yeah. The first rounds where all the pressure is for her for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, uh, Wimbledon not happening. Her grass no. court tennis is... Everybody needs laugh. to... I mean, I've ranted about this before, but just this concept that just because she's perceived to be a, a, a hard hitter and a big server, that she should be good at Wimbledon is like a complete misread of her game. Yeah. And a complete oversimplification because she needs kick and her strokes need time. Same thing with and, Isner. Yeah. People say, oh, that should be his best surface. You know, grass, it's clearly his worst surface. He can't, he can't hit. No. So that's what I think. I think buy, but it's sort of a long-term buy. This is not a day trading situation for Sam Stoser. Right. I think that lo- short-term 2013, I don't know, but I'm willing to hold on to it for a while. Yeah. I think she's going to make, you know, a couple more year-end championships in her career and just be sort of up there. She should be. I mean, she has the quality, you know. I mean, I think that, again, with her, even this year, I mean, a, a, a few matches break her way, right? I mean, she had that great match against... Um, Sharapova in Stuttgart mm-hmm. that she lost, you know, in a tight one. Who knows if she would have been able to beat Vika um, in the final, but she was playing really well. If she gets into the French Open that. final, if she beats Irani, if she beats Irani, that could if she gives Sharapova a tougher match than Irani did. Mm-hmm. For sure, on clay, for sure, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it would have been interesting. It would have been, you know. So, uh, so I'm not, I'm not like cashing out on Sam, but. I think given age, given I think I think it's informed a little bit as well by kind of how she ended the season. Mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like just all of it got to her. She was done. She was done, and I, I just really feel like how she responds is going to really dictate how her 2013 goes. Yeah, but we'll see. Australia has so much pressure on her. It'll be interesting to see how she does there. But how she does there, unless it's if it's negative, I don't think it really has a bearing on her. No, because that's status quo. That is status quo. If it's positive, it could be standard. a big boost. Right. If she, you know, makes the semis in Australia or something, it could be a big. Like, there's no up. reason that she shouldn't have better results at Indian Wells. No. That's a great court for her. Mm-hmm. It's a little slow, bounces high. You know, the ball travels, it kicks. No Serena, she could totally win Indian Wells. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. So now we're setting the bar pretty high for Sam after not. So, <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I know she wanted to Let's hope it. Sam's not listening. Another question about Australian tennis comes from Curtis07. Curtis asks, Hopman Cup is one of my favorite events of the year. 
despite being an EXO, should the WTA slash ATP award ranking points for it? He continues, I say yes, because even though it's supposed to be a fun event, the players do take it seriously and play three to four singles matches. So, Courtney, what are your thoughts on Hopman Cup, which is pretty much the next big event on the tennis calendar? It is. You know, I mean, I I love Hopman Cup, too. Um, I've been I've, I've I've gone to it. You've gone to it, Ben. It's a pilgrimage. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it's it's the ultimate and kind of tennis nerddom because it has that that mixed element to it. But uh, no, I don't think that, that you should award points to it. I think that. I mean, I don't know how it's perceived at home, but I, I'm not entirely convinced that the players take it as seriously as maybe uh, Curtis might think they do. Um, a lot of it is kind of like playing to not get, you know, to kind of build confidence and get the rust out and stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, to walk away from it without getting injured, you know, and for a lot of them is just to have a good time. Um, it just really you know, doesn't have the competitive and, and plus I don't think that you can award points to a tournament that is invitational. Yeah. About the invitational part, I think is a big part. Yeah. That's just unfair. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's always been a controversy a little bit with those, with respect to the Olympics and points being awarded there because right. not everybody has equal can access qualify. to there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think that Hopman cup definitely is taken seriously by a lot of players. We discussed on the show earlier, Marion Bartoli double bageling Yarka Kutasova <laughs> at Hopman Cup. Marion was there to play. Other players last year uh, clearly were not there as much to win, necessarily. And, yeah, and actually, you know, they sort of got contested between a few of them about that. I think there was a match between Marty Fish and Grigor Dimitrov. That Dimitrov, this is when Marty Fish was in the top ten, ranked number eight, coming in you know, fairly fatigued but still big-name player. And uh, Dimitrov was still like in the 70s, I think, at the beginning of last year. And Dimitrov beat him like 6-1, 6-2. And Fish looked, Fish looked visibly annoyed and, you know, muttering to Dimitrov about, it seemed, obviously there was no mic or anything, but it seemed to be about, you know, what are you doing? This is an EXO. Calm down, kid. Right. And uh, with that in mind, yeah, the uh, ATP doesn't, I've talked to ATP people about this actually. They say that, because I think that for a while, I don't think they do it anymore, but I think for a while, the WTA site included Hopman Cup results in its mm. activity. And I know the ITF site still does because uh, it's an ITF event. ATP never has and uh, doesn't include in head-to-heads and stuff like that. And I don't know. I don't think WTA still does. I think ITF might. So those are little disparities there. And yeah, you can't do it right now. But if they wanted to overhaul it into a bigger event, have more countries, have points, etc., have some sort of more qualifying system to get in instead of being purely invitational. Right. Because right now there's no reason, I mean, there's no good reason why the Czech Republic is not there to defend their title next year, mm-hmm. even though they have such good players, and why South Africa is, et cetera, when all these other countries aren't. I don't know. I mean, there, it could be made more serious, but I think that it's sort of, the players seem happy where with it how it is now, getting the big names in a fun environment. I think fans like that too. So I say, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Agreed. But I am excited for this year's tournament. It'll be good to see. Good teams. And yeah. Next question we're going to comes from Ova Fanboy, who asks, You guys, what happened to Yelena Yankovic? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I do a really good JJ. You do a pretty great JJ. You haven't busted it out here very much on this show. but I know. Waiting. But... Uh... Oh my goodness, JJ. That I mean, it's um, it's tough, you know, because like I think that for her, I don't think that like she overachieved, you know, in that epic, you know, 2008 where she ended the year number one and mm-hmm. all sort of stuff. I mean, I think that she was playing well within herself to be able to to kind of put up those results. But I just think that maybe ambition got the better of her. Okay. So in, you know, in other words, like she was working with Ricardo Sanchez. You know, she ends the year, ranked number one, 2008, and it's like, okay, now we go for the slam, which is totally understandable. It's what everybody was begging her to do is, you know, retool your game, be a bit more offensive, work on your serve, you know, have more pop, be able to terminate points and rallies. And, you know, this is always, you know, something that I I really kind of am sympathetic to with respect to tennis players and any, any individual sport like golf is this way as well. You know, you you achieve success based on a certain style, a certain way that you play. Mm -hmm. And then, but in order to kind of 
make that leap to the elite, which in our sport is is winning slams, do you tinker, right? Yeah. Or do you just maintain, right? This is the whole question of Caroline Wozniacki. Exactly. Right? So with JJ, you know, she bulked up, she got stronger, and then she started losing and blamed her bulkiness with making her slow, which took away her defense. I'm not entirely sure I buy that, but... She didn't look as bulky as she said she was. No, and she wasn't as slow as she says that she was. But it's, it could be all mental. Like we talked about last week with the equipment changes and stuff. Right. Even and a, I, a slight slight tinkering can really sort of mess with your head more than your body. Yeah, and I think that with JJ, like I think that she's just kind of lost her way a little bit, like tactically. Yeah. When you watch her matches, that just tactically she's just doing the wrong things. You know, I mean, she made a name for herself with that backhand up the line. She just doesn't hit it anymore. She just goes like cross court all day long or hits loopy shots at the backhand and, and just goes cross court and, you know, doesn't open up. And, and it's like, you know, dude, you, you got to number one and made a slam final with your, you know, subpar serve. Right. Right. Like, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it's a mental thing. It, you know, it, it, sometimes I think that it's a motivation issue that she's just kind of, you know, she doesn't, you know, we talked to. Uh, Really early on when we had our podcast, maybe the first or second episode, about schedule swag. Mm-hmm. Right? She's about, never had that. She's never had that. About being able to, to back your talent and build a schedule that assumes that you will be successful. And Yelena Yankovic kind of builds her schedule assuming she's going to lose second round. Yeah. That she'll be able to play like four back-to-back-to-back-to-back tournaments. Yeah, that's, you not, know? That's, not, that's not smart. Right, and that's just not from, smart, yeah, obviously. From, just from a from a psych, psyche point of view. Exactly. I mean, physically, you set that aside, but from I think that gives you a lot of insight into her or into her psyche and, and her mental how she's approaching the game these days. Yeah, what's interesting goes back to sort of if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing we were talking about before. When you talk about what happened to Yankovic uh, after '08, in terms of feeling like she needed to change her game to win a slam, and that's sort of something people say about what Wozni- had said about Wozniacki a lot. And I don't know that it's really true because people, you can win a tournament without that. Maybe you, and she was able to beat big players with that game. She beat Serena a few times. Yeah. She beat Venus. She beat, the one stat I like to say is that she beat Serena at the Australian Open. She beat Venus at Wimbledon. And both are playing pretty well. Those are their best tournaments. In her game, she was a giant killer. She was. In her time. And uh, that's something that Wilson didn't have as much with her relatively similar, or vaguely similar defensive style. Yeah, I mean, I never really liked the comparison of Caroline to JJ. I mean, a lot of people would say it simply because JJ was like a slamless number one who was, you know, more of a defensive player than an offensive player. But but JJ could terminate rallies if she wanted to. Oh, yeah. And tactically speaking, she was much better Yeah. in her prime than, than Wozniacki has been in her prime of learning how to exploit weaknesses and, and to build a point to, to be able to, you know, either goad your, your opponent into errors or to put it away. So... She was much more kind of she had more tools in that way than than I thought Caroline did, but you know, but that's just it's a it's a tough you know it's it's so much risk is involved mm-hmm. in making that call to make the change, and if it doesn't work, then you look like a moron, right? And you know, with Yankovic, with in in some respects Wozniacki this year, you know, they come out looking like the moron, and I don't know, I mean, like should we really be kind of poo pooing on their ambition? No, and that's, those are those are good questions, I think. And I say this, I say this as somebody who has. Like, yeah. I'm just kind of like talking out loud. I mean, like, you know, like maybe that was unfair, you know. But I mean, I think the difference was I felt like Wozniacki didn't go all in. No, Wozniacki did not really go. You never knew what you were gonna get from her when she stepped on the court. Right, and also she just you just really didn't know like if she really wanted to become more offensive. Or if she didn't, and, you know, there was a lot of kind of push and pull between coaches and dad and, you know, whatever her, is her kind of innate tennis personality style. So it just never was really clear. Sidebar, what do we think of that photo that Caroline tweeted today? It was too much. It was too much. <laughs> it was too much. It was too much. It was can, too can, much. Can you explain what it was? When I saw this, I just... No, first of all, you brought it up, so you explain it. I'm not going to have... I'm not reliving this. I clicked the link, I saw it, and I put it away. And you, and you sent a reactionary tweet. I did. You engaged did. that way. Yes. Caroline tweeted a photo of a jacuzzi yep. with two bathrobes hanging up yep. next to it, being like, look at this hotel room we got ourselves, Roy McElroy. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I will say this, like, hours later, I kind of cracked up with the mental image 
there's this Saturday Night Live sketch. Oh, oh, the one with Rachel <laughs> the Dratch. And, yeah, the yeah, lovers. The lovers. With Rachel Dratch and Will Ferrell. If you don't know it, look it up on YouTube or Hulu. I'm sure we'll, it's we'll up. We'll put a link to the lovers. We'll put a link. But the lovers of just like a jacuzzi. And I just remember th- just the kind of thinking of the one sketch where it was like, obviously, Rachel Dratch and Will Ferrell. And like those two were like eating, you know, chicken wings inside the jacuzzi. And the other couple was like Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, there was a connection in my head between the two, and I was amused through the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> that sounds like a happy headspace to be in. Yeah, it was all right. Next question has very little to do with jacuzzis, we think. Thankfully. Uh, this comes from Second Serve, who asks, New rules on let serve and time violations coming in 2013. Good or bad? What rules would you like to change, abolish, introduce? So we'll start with the first part. What do you think about the... Have we talked about this before, actually? We talked about it on the toss. Yeah. Yeah, so Ben and I... Yeah, so Ben and I debated this whole issue of the new rule changes um, on a toss post on um, SI.com a few months ago. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's... At the end of the day, like... Why why don't you explain what they are? I'm not sure if everybody knows what they are. Sorry. So the rule change on the, I mean, I guess we'll start with the bigger change because it affects the actual ATP tour, is the time violation rule. So prior to 2013, um, if if you were issued a time violation, it was a code violation. Mm-hmm. And then the second time you got it, it was a point penalty, no? Right? Yes. But you almost never get it a second time. Right. You, ne- you almost never got it a second time. Uh, the new rule... Is that it's a warning the first time you get it, you get it, and then the second time, it's like a fault. Yeah, it's, it costs you a first serve. Yeah, it costs you a first serve. Which now that I'm thinking about it, though, what about the returner? It costs you a point if you're a returner. Okay, it costs you a point if you're a returner, but if you're a server, it costs you a fault. So in other words, the ATP is trying to kind of um, lessen the penalty of a time violation in order to try and encourage umpires to call it. Because the idea being that umpires didn't want to call the time violation because a point penalty is pretty major and will send an, a player ballistic. And I that's, think this one will still send a player ballistic as well. But No, I think so as well. But but yeah, so that that's the rule change on that. The let serves is going to be on a trial basis in the ATP Challenger Tour where, where let serves will be playable. So there won't be you know a replay of a serve that hits the net and trickles over and lands it within the service box. Mm-hmm. So that's the expression of the rule. With respect to the time violation issue, I just still think that it's just kind of a toothless rule change. Because at the end of the day, if an umpire is going to enforce the rule, they'll enforce it. If they won't, they won't. And to the extent that umpires feel intimidated by players or concerned about... Because players review umpires. Like, that's kind of part of kind of the whole umpire... Like rank, not necessarily their ranking system, but who gets chosen for what matches. Yeah, that's something people don't see as much. Right. So players review the umpires, and if you keep incessantly calling Rafael Nadal for a time violation, Rafa's probably not going to like it, and he's probably going to think that you're a crappy umpire, and he's probably going to let the ATP know that, and you're probably not going to, you know, get an opportunity to umpire a Slam final or a Masters final or like whatever. Yeah. So I just I just don't really think that it's going to change anything, honestly. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think that uh, the let thing could be is going to be more black and white if that does get brought to the main tour. It's getting started on a three month trial basis on the ATP Challenger Tour, beginning of next year. And I think some of the Challenger players don't appreciate being guinea pigs. But as we said on the toss, I think that they will relatively soon. Although there will be you know instances where it happens on a big point or something where they'll go they'll go ballistic and fatalistic and whatnot right. about you know how luck is now a part of it but luck's always been a part of tennis and okay. i think eventually big picture it won't be a big deal in the ebb and flow of a match because it'll go both ways unless people start intentionally aiming for the net quarter or something which seems unlikely yeah and go with it yeah no absolutely so i always kind of wonder why players don't aim for the net court more but i understand that it's a risky proposition and they're good enough they don't have to do that i think in terms of that I don't think will be a big issue. Time thing, I agree. It's all about enforcement, and that's on the umps. And that's on the tours backing the umps. Right. That, standing by them when they do that. When, you know, Nadal or Djokovic or 
whoever the other slow players are. Andy Come, Murray. Andy Murray. Murray. Andy Murray is pretty slow. Not as slow as the other two, but slow definitely. Del Potro. Del Potro is slow. Yeah. He's very slow. Uh, when they come off the court fuming about this, the, the tour supervisor's got to be like, no, nope, sorry, Andy, Juan, Novak, Rafa, them's the rules. And, right. you know, not give in on that. And with it's a star-driven tour, that's going to be tough to do. So Agreed. we'll see how that goes. How that first confrontation goes will be crucial on this rule. And it yep. could happen, depending on the enforcement, it could happen as early as, you know, Brisbane. Yep. So we'll see. It'll be an interesting sort of subplot for Australia. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that it's really going to be, a, you know, Australia will really set the tone for how this rule ends up operating, you know, going forward. If the umpires don't feel comfortable, you know, calling players out on it, then it's just if it's not going to happen in Australia, it's not going to happen any other time. Yeah. And and the players deserve I mean, this is why the whole discussion of a shot clock has always come up, which I don't really like. I don't like the idea of like a shot clock between points, like, you know, like of whatever it is, like 25 seconds. Is that the rule? It varies, but yes. Yeah, yeah whatever it is, 25 to 30 seconds at most. That it's actually 20 to 25. I don't think it ever goes as 30. Okay, 2025. I don't like the, the idea of a shot clock on it, but I do think the players, I mean, this is a failure of the umpires. Like they, the players deserve consistency. Yeah. If Rafa goes over one second, you call it. If Novak goes over one second, you call it. Like, there is no like, oh, well, we just played this long, grueling rally. Like, you should take into that account. You should take that into account, and there should be subjectivity to it. Nah, a rule's a rule. Yeah. And maybe you know, and you can put in some flex thing that it's if if you can count have the count or something. If it's a rally over ten shots, they can get an extra five seconds or something. I mean, that's even then though. I'm just kind of like, you know what? You want an extra breather? Take the fault. Next point, you serve a second serve. Yeah, no, great. I think there does there does need to be enforcement because the way it is now, it's fairly random. You it know, is. you can have, and that's not fair to the players. It's no, not. No. It's not fair to Rafa. It's not fair to Novak. It's not fair to anybody to get like called on it at a like weird time when like you've been violating the rule like the entire tournament, and all of a sudden the semifinals you get called on it. No. No, not okay. So that's all we want is consistency. It's a lot to ask. We realize. It is a lot to ask, but... but... So in terms of other rules, anything you want to see change introduced? It's a broad yeah. question, but what would you like? No, for sure. I would like to see no towels on court. Ooh. Okay. This whole toweling off, and this goes with the, 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 obviously the time delay, time violation issue, but you have your towel at the chair. You want to towel off, you run to the chair and you towel off. That goes in towards your time issues between points, but just, I mean... Your opponent double faults and you grab a towel? Yeah. Come on. Don't like it. No. Fair. Don't like it. I think that's pretty good. I feel I feel about that the way that most people feel about grunting. Like, to me, like, I don't care about grunting. Like, I think that, like, generally, like, I'm almost immune to it. It's just what tennis sounds like to me. So I don't complain about it. Yeah. But... That was the whole question after the Australian Open last year, after you had those two finals, where the women's was the grunting, the men's was the slow. Right. So, right. yeah. Pick your poison. Pick your poison. How about you? Rule change? More Eurovision? Obviously. Have every player <laughs> enter the core to their country's Eurovision song <laughs> at all times. Oh, if I had to change one thing, I think I would get rid of coaching at WTA. Oh, fair. Totally fair. But we haven't really talked about that, but I think that's enough. Enough of that. Enough. I think the reasons are self-evident for that. Next question comes from T. Claire L., who says, lots of retirements were predicted at the end of this season post-Olympics. Who were you surprised hasn't gone or who are you surprised has stayed? Good question. Let's start with, any, any names first come to mind, Courtney, on this? I'll say Venus. Venus, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that given how serious her health concerns were at the end of 2011 and, you know, obviously, like, she wasn't able to play for you know, the first quarter of 2012 until Miami. Like, I think that there were legitimate questions as to whether, like, was it worth it? You know, not not about kind of desire and skill level, but just, like, was it worth it to, to kind of put yourself back on tour and do the whole tour thing? So so I think that it's pretty surprising that Venus is still, like, still kicking, still playing awesome tennis, you know, won, won a tournament in the fall. Won a gold uh, medal this year. Won a gold medal in doubles. So, you know, and, and really... I think she had just had like a really like you couldn't look at Venus's year and not respect what she did. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that was the biggest thing. So, you know, like all these like uh, 
comeback awards keep coming up for vote and every single time I vote for Venus and people are like, how can you vote for her? Like, she's obviously like so good. Like, you know, like how is that a comeback? Like her skill level. I'm like, dude, to do what she did, given the circumstances, given Shogun syndrome, given this was the first time on tour that she was, you know, uh, learning how to be a professional tennis player with this autoimmune disease, not knowing what her body would feel like every single day. Like I have nothing but respect for what she was able to do this year. So, so I would say Venus. How about you? My, I have two answers to this. The first one is Leighton Hewitt. We've mm-hmm. discussed before. I really thought that this Australian Open would be he could be make some announcement type thing and have him retire at the Olympics. But he's coming back for 2013. Uh, if he retired at this Australian Open again, wouldn't be surprised. But I just feel like his results have been. I would if I was him having won two Grand Slams. And finish, I think, two different years, number one. Yep. I would not be satisfied with the kind of tennis he's playing right now. Mm, and uh, he he achieved the rare calendar golden slam <laughs> of wild cards this year. Getting yep. a wild card into the Australian, French, Wimbledon, US Open, and Olympics. Uh, and then complaining about not getting a wild card into the Olympic doubles. Which I don't think. I think he had gotten enough handouts at that point. All respect to what he's accomplished, but... At a certain point, you got to start earning your way in, which he has now because he is directly entered into the Australian Open. Yes, so he is. it's getting better, but I don't necessarily understand or don't entirely get why this is enough for him. And I understand that some people just don't know what else to do with themselves. But as Andy no, Roddick retires, as Ferreira retires, as uh, we're both guys who won their slams more recently than Leighton won his most recent one, <laughs> I think at a certain point. I just don't get it, what what the benefit is for him staying around any longer. Okay, what was your second one? Second one is Francesca Schiavone. Yes, who, totally. Who really seemed over it this year. Yeah, she really and, did. And she's someone who work, who who thrives so much on her desire and heart. And it didn't seem to be at the same level this year. And there were a few just ugly results for her. She lost in Australia to Romina Oprandi. Uh, she lost, is that right? Is that who she lost to? I think so. Let's go with that. She lost <laughs> Rosh and Romina O'Prandi. Uh, she lost uh, just Camilla Georgi badly at some point. I mean, there's just a bunch of bad losses and just seems sort of like I mean, it's, yeah, it, that was the biggest thing is that it wasn't even about the results. I mean, if you were around the tour and and it just was so apparent that she just was she wasn't the Francesca that won the French Open. She didn't have that like kind of joie de vivre. Like she didn't have that fire and that joy she was just going through the motions and that's a good call that's a very good call i mean i i would say for my second one it would probably be james blake yeah it's a good one really really thought that like he would call this u.s open his last yeah so if there was an american retirement that was going to come out of the u.s open i thought it would be james blake not andy roddick but you know roddick's retirement didn't shock me but you know it was obviously very you know surprising the timing of it within the tournament was what was weird Right, he didn't that. announce it in advance, like, yeah, that sort of between, thing. He but... advanced, announced it between the first and second <clears throat> rounds, which you don't right. expect. You expect either pre-tournament or at the at once you lose your match. Right, exactly right. So, so, so yeah, so those would be my picks as people, but... So um, anything, anybody else. Chela retired this week. Um, I can't yes. say he's especially on my radar. Giselle Dilko also retired earlier this month, or earlier in November, and we had actually I'd talked to our friend uh, Jorge, who's... Yep. Argentinian tennis writer, and he had been, you know, very adamant that she was heading out the door. Yeah. Wow. So that wasn't a big surprise. So, so then Ben, like looking at 2013, who, who's who's going to be the next ones? Well, I think everybody yeah. we mentioned who were surprised is still around. I think yeah. it's obviously fair game for 2013. <laughs> fair. Yeah. I think Venus is an interesting one because I do think because she's won so many gold medals in her career, I think the Olympics are really more of an incentive for her than for others. So I think she might. I would be surprised to see her hang up in 2013. I think if she has an off year, after having a relatively encouraging year in 2012, I think she would probably at least see the beginning of 2014 before making a decision, unless things go way south. I mean, sure. hard to tell. Other people? I'm trying to think of who's up there. Tommy Haas, getting very old, 34. Same with yep. uh, Roddick Stepanek, mm-hmm. especially now that Stepanek has completed his life's work by winning the Davis Cup. Seriously, how do you not tear off your shirt and just drop the mic and say done? I know. That would have been a You know, at the Davis Cup. Yeah, he really could have done that. So who knows? Maybe he will realize in Australia that he sort of made, could have 
mic dropped when he had the chance. Yeah. Um, I actually saw some that Mahesh Bhupati is retiring at the end of 2013. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's confirmed, but I read that somewhere. I can see that. Yeah, so he a lot of doubles guys are older than you realize. Mm. They just they can stay around a long time there. Uh, even the I think the Bryans I've talked about Rio also, but they're getting up there. They're, yep. they're in their mid 30s. They're Lisa Raymond. Lisa Raymond, yeah, just getting up there. Uh, yeah, no, these are these are all players, and there's a lot more. I mean, I really thought there'd be more this year. Actually, in 2012, I really thought a lot of them would be like, okay, Olympics, I'm out, see you later. And it didn't happen quite as much as I thought it might. It's tough, man. I mean, like I know this just having been in a career style profession for six seven years yeah. it's just hard to say no it's hard to say goodbye yeah. it's hard to just realize that like that's just not going to be your thing for the rest of your life like you know and you know like i think that uh next year if i'm francesca schiavone i say that i announced my retirement right before rome yeah and i retire after the french open agreed panetta too panetta too yeah both of them not that this is necessarily relevant to anybody but i would i would say the elder Brits and Kianta Vong and Elena Baltasha. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they hung it up next year. Baltasha might not come back actually already. Yeah. That's the thing. Sure. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced that Baltasha will come back. And with Kianta Vong, I'm just kind of like, what's, what's the point at she this seems point? She's ready to move um, sort of the next step of being yeah, a person in, just, in, in British tennis. Yeah. Just, just let it go, you know? So, so those would be kind of my picks. Another one who I think, I was sort of surprised didn't retire this year based on sort of a similar to Schiavone situation is Davidenko. Mm. David- well, Davidenko seems to have sort of lost the fire that he used. He to lost have. the fire, but he needs the money. That's true. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I think Francesca's okay. I think that she's uh, in a good spot. And I think that, uh, you know, having been in her press conferences and interviewed her throughout the year, I just really got the sense that, you know what, dude, you'd be better if you didn't have to, like, hop on a plane every week yeah you, and, you sort of see her like in cincinnati and be like you don't really want to be here, yeah do you? exactly no it's true and beijing and all these places where you know you get the sense that she'd be someone very content putting her feet totally. up and yeah doing all of that absolutely i think another player who might not make it past 2013 is lena what oh i totally disagree with you on that you do yeah i totally do explain i think that so long as carlos is with her I think that he's reinvigorated her. And at the end of the day, like, she's what, like, 30, 31? Mm-hmm. Right? And... And she turned pro pretty late in her, in her life. And she turned pretty pro pretty late. Her body isn't failing her. You know, I think that bringing on Carlos has definitely kind of helped her marriage to where she's happier in that vein as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I see her through, like, 2014 at least. I oh. think she's still got the game. Okay. As a fellow Asian, we skew <laughs> we skew young. Our bodies are resilient. <laughs> so, so you're saying that you're not retiring either in twenty. I'm not retiring. No, I'm like I'm like a 22 year old. Anybody who's ever met me knows this. Mm-hmm. I'm not 22. I'm definitely not 22. I thought yeah. But you're turning 23 soon though. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the month, yeah. Okay. Okay. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, like it's um. I think that she went through a really patchy period through the middle of the year and um. Or beginning of the year, even of just really, really questioning what the point of it all was, and I just really think that Carlos, really Rodriguez, uh, really kind of has convinced her that there is more to her tennis than what she has already tapped. And I think that it will take like a full year, like maybe the year experiment doesn't work, but yeah, I don't think that she'll call it for a while. Twenty fourteen. I don't think she'll be in Rio, but twenty fourteen. Okay. Speaking of old Asian ladies, can we yeah. give a shout out to Kamiko? Date Kron, who this week won, or last weekend, won the Dubai 75K to get back into the top 100 at age 42. Like, respect. Just straight up respect for Kamiko. Pretty crazy. Especially when you, like, talk about, I mean, obviously. She, Kimiko... beat, she beat Yulia Putin Seva, who we talked about last week. She beat her in the final. And she is 25 years older than Putin Seva. 25 years older. And, like, granted, like, obviously, like, it's not like she's, like, competing for slams or premiere events or, like, whatever. But, like, she's got recognize that, like, there are these there are people who, like, walked away from this game in their 20s. Giselle Zoko retired at 27. Right. Justine Ennen. Like, you know, like, even Kim in the first round that she went and walked away. 
Like, this is, you know, and here's Kamiko, who's just like, for the love of the game. Yeah. She did take a break. She went on hiatus for a while. Ten years. Yeah. Long time. Long ass time. It just makes you wonder sort of what that would have been like for her career if she'd hung around. Mm. In this sort of modern era of when age, people are dealing better with age on tour. Yeah. And they were even in the mid-90s. Yeah. But at 42 years old, she's one of the top 100 tennis players in the world. In the world. In the world. Yeah. That's pretty great. Next question. Let's talk about a player who who is ranked only currently three spots ahead of Kimiko Date Krom, who's Vera Svanareva. Uh, GBE2220 asks, predictions for past slam champs slash former number ones in 2013. Svanareva, who's actually neither of those, but never mind. Uh, Kuznetsova, Yankovic, Safina, what would you expect Safina returning? What do we expect from those four Eastern European ladies in 2013? Let's start with Svanareva, Courtney. Top 50? Ooh, that's, not, that's not very generous. No. If she remains somewhat injury-free. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's even a question. I mean, I think that it's tough with Vera. I mean, I think that even when she was like, you know, number two in the world or whatever, I was convinced she was overachieving Definitely. Um, and really kind of punching above her weight class. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, especially the way the game has moved, you know, you now you now you have Vika, you have Serena, you have Maria in top form, you have a Kerber, you still have Kvitova. I know that she's ranked lower, like yeah. whatever in the top 10, but she's still there and still has a talent. Stozer. So you have like. Yeah, Stozer. You have these like four or five, six players, Lina, who like Vera is going to meet early in in tournaments. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and they will probably beat her. Routinely. Yeah. So that's the problem. It's not like that her her stock has dropped. I think that like in the year that she kind of took off, like the game has really moved forward and there are more players out there who aren't going to really have a problem with her game. She was she was number two when Wozniacki was number one, and she took a relatively similar road to the top echelon. Yep. I mean, she played really solid tennis that may, and with more offensive upside than Wozniacki, closer right. to Yankovic probably than Wozniacki. But she, you know, got there through being solid and consistent at a time when there weren't as many players challenging consistently who could beat her. But now all those players have, and it's sort of more of a a high tide for the WTA, I think, right now. And right. it was even in 2010, when Serena got injured, anyway. And, uh, yeah, I think that it's going to be tough for her to come back. I would go I'll go top 30, you know, okay. getting an outer seat at, at, by the U.S. Open or so. I think it's definitely within her reach if she stays healthy. Um, but, yeah, again, it's going to be tough. Kuznetsova, ugh, God only knows with Kuznetsova. Exactly. Uh, I mean, she could, Sped- she could, she could win know. the French Open, I think. Not well, this, this actually ties into another question that we got, which is like some who's the next player that will get the career Grand Slam. And I thought about it and I was like, well, Sveta's the one that's closest, right? She has two. She's the only one with two. Right. Yeah. Um, Active no. with two? You really? No. I mean, that's kind of, but I'm just saying like, that's an incredible, I mean, like when you think about it, just the way that we talk about Kuznetsova and how inconsistent she can be. Venus also has two. Um, yes. Well, that's true. But, but she's not going to win the French, so... No. <clears throat> I... But if you ask me who's more likely to win two more slams in their career, Venus or Kuznetsova, I I think it's a push. Just because, I mean, Kuznetsova is, is the most unreliable player in recent well, times. Well, and Sped is never going to win Wimbledon. She could. She's, she's made the quarters there a few times. She could do okay. And older players tend to do better there. I don't know. I don't I don't know about that. But I don't think, no, I don't think she's going to win a slam. I will short of that i think she had a really disappointing 2012 she just yeah she won the front uh showing open doubles with Savonareva, if you people remember yep and then uh nothing nothing for either of them and i think kuznetsova did have some injury issues i think sure yeah she did but uh she had the injury but she had pretty nice haircut it, at one point that's about the highlight did, of her, her year haircut, her haircut was great but i think it's kind of dire times for russian tennis yeah when you're putting your faith in Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, who has just really stalled since her Indian Wells, whatever, uh, semifinal run. Is that right? Yeah, she had a few scattered good results. I mean, she made 
a couple uh, slam quarters in 2011. She's better than that, though. Yeah. She, her this, upside is big. Pavs is just, she can hit the ball. She just doesn't, she just, from an outsider perspective, like, you know, it's just like, she just hasn't committed to her career. She, she's falling into kind of almost that Davidenko kind of like gray zone of like, you're just happy to get a paycheck and to make your, you can make a living playing tennis. You're yeah. good enough to do that. It's holding something back. Right, but like you're not willing to do what it needs, what you need to do in order to like be top ten. Put it all out there. Yeah, yeah. To win slams, and you know that's disappointing. Yankovic, we sort of discussed, um, but for 2013, where do you where do you think Yankovic ends up? Mm. I'd, I'd say I'd say top twenty. I would. I'm, in, top 20. I'm inclined. I'm inclined to say top twenty, with a bit of hesitation because I still think that like, just uh, what is she ranked now? Um, I think high twenties. Okay, so high 20s, um, she's just still going to come up against, like, the top players too early. But I think she can beat some of them, though. I think that if she gets on a decent run, she very nearly beat Red Vonska at the U.S. Open this year. I mean, she lost in straight sets, if you look at the score. But there were parts of that match. She's number 22 right now, actually, which is higher than I thought she was. I think that she can have draws break her way. And she can take it, and she can be pretty good at not losing people she shouldn't lose to. If she gets like a slam draw where she plays no one out in the top thirty in the first four rounds, I trust her to take care of business on that. But okay. we'll see. Basically, stay where she is. Okay. She's probably more generous than most people would be. Uh, you're a bit more optimistic about her chances than I am. I will say. Well, she, she's just one out of nowhere in her career. I mean, she won Indian Wells pretty much out of nowhere. She won Cincinnati out of nowhere. There could be one more, one a few more blips in her left to her. Cause how old is she? She's uh. Yankovic is twenty is twenty seven. Yep. Yeah, an old twenty seven, I think we'd say, but <laughs> but uh, still time. And lastly, a player who I know you're very fond of. We I don't know who really ever talked about on this show. Uh, Dinara. Dinara's done. Yeah, I think you have to yeah. say that. And it's it's not um yeah you know, it's not a matter of being cruel or downplaying her. I mean I think that you know when she was. At her best, like it, she, I, I genuinely enjoyed watching her play. I, I loved watching her just hit the absolute crap out of the ball. But your body only lets you do what your body lets you do, and I don't think her body's going to let her do anything. And she's someone who has to go down as a tremendous overachiever, for sure. I don't think people really gave her enough credit for at the time. Yeah, when she was number one, being Dinara Safina. Well, it's two things. I mean, she'll go down as being an overachiever, and she'll also go down as being kind of this unfair lightning rod of this whole slamless number one baloney that we kind of deal with mm-hmm. ever since, you know, I mean like JJ kind of, you know, a little bit, but, but it wasn't the same because Dinara had to deal with it longer. And Dinara had, a, when Dinara was it, there was a real, real credible alternative, which was Serena. Right. Dinara was it during Serena's, during a peak Serena period. Right. And, and JJ Serena, was during Serena, more of a chaos time. Right. And Serena was throwing shade, you know, about the whole Madrid thing and all that sort of stuff. And and it was a really just really negative time for Dinara Safina to be a tennis player because you, you felt for her because she was just doing what she was doing. Yeah. Like, right. Like, I just go out and try to win the matches that I, in front of me. And but like she had to come in and just have people just be really. And I don't even know if it like if it was just because she was Russian or if people just didn't find her to be like media, but is what I mean by people. If like media people didn't find her to be charismatic, or or I don't or, think I don't think she had a very attractive game to a lot of people. Right, and, I think and people that, just had a hard time sympathizing with her. I, I suppose. I think people sort of thought that because that she was riding her brother's coattails, right. whatever that means in terms of reaching the number one ranking on the opposite tour. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, I think that there were there. Were, I mean, Dinara was not. No, necessarily a popular player. I mean, the game thing. I I never personally liked watching her game that much. I thought it was one of the less stylish ones out there. Oh, well, it wasn't stylish, but you, but I I definitely kind of. I mean, again, I I love power tennis, so it just kind of it worked for me, and I and I did find her to be a sympathetic character. I mean, at the time, sympathetic character, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't writing for Sports Illustrated. I was writing for my own blog, and just really, really felt like, you know, she was really getting the raw end of the deal that, you know, if anything, she was being penalized for having the last name that she had and, you know, and, and being kind of a, an introverted kind of shy kid. Yeah. Although um, I do think that helped her initially. 
I mean, she got a lot, a lot of crowd support. Sure, yeah, yeah. Before the whole number one thing because of her last name. Probably That's probably why, the reason why a lot of play, fans started paying attention to her at all, because of her brother. That might be right. Her brother was very popular. That might be right. So I think that sort of definitely helped her for the beginning. And arguably, I don't, it definitely may be hurt in some eyes, but I think it was never a net negative for her, I don't think. But we'll yeah. see. Although I do think her brother should have come to her slam finals at least once. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for the thrilling conclusion of No Challenges, no challenges Remaining, 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 remaining Episode 22. 22.